Notre Dame's arch rival USC made a big splash this week by hiring Cliff Kingsbury to be on their offensive staff. But could this mark the beginning of the end of the Lincoln-Riley era at USC? It might sound crazy, but I'm telling you, there's a chance. You are Locked On Irish, your daily podcast on the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on and welcome to Locked On Irish. It is Wednesday, April 12th, and thank you for making this your first listen of the day. As always, you can find the show on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. If you are watching along on YouTube, hit that thumbs up below to like the video and subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. If you're listening to the podcast, you can subscribe by hitting that follow button at the top. That's how you do it on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, at least. But I'm I'm not sure about the other platforms, but I'm pretty sure that they're pretty similar. Anyways, my name is Tyler Wojcik, and I'm the host. I've been a big Notre Dame fan for my entire life, and I've been podcasting about the football team since 2020. I'm also a Notre Dame alum and work at the Fox Sports headquarters in Los Angeles as a producer for our college football talent. This episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more by visiting FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. And in today's episode, we're going to take a look at the latest projections for Notre Dame's top prospects in the upcoming NFL draft and go over some key developments on the recruiting trail. But I want to start with something a little different today. Let's talk about Notre Dame's arch rival, USC. So Monday night, Tom Pelissero from NFL Network broke the news that Cliff Kingsbury, the former head coach of the Arizona Cardinals, was going to join the staff at USC as a senior offensive analyst. Then USC head coach Lincoln Riley confirmed the news in an announcement on Tuesday. And, you know, I got to admit, this was a big headline. I mean, whatever your thoughts are on Cliff as a head coach, there is absolutely zero doubt this guy is an offensive genius and can coach the quarterback position extremely well. Not only that, now you can say that you have Lincoln Riley and Cliff Kingsbury on staff, guys who have coached uh, Patrick Mahomes, Kyler Murray, Baker Mayfield, just to name a few. I think you guys might have heard of them before. When I first heard it, I actually thought he was going to be on staff as a quarterback's coach. I roll my eyes like, seriously? Like, like this guy, this is what they needed to. But then I realized he's not going to be an on-the-field coach. And I got to admit, from, from Cliff's perspective, this is a pretty sweet deal. He, now he gets to live in Los Angeles, a place he's tried to live in before when he tried to, he was actually hired to be the offensive coordinator back in 2018. And then he left uh, to be the head coach of the Arizona Cardinals. That was a weird couple months, right? But now he gets to be involved in the game. Like he's still around football. And I know that he, he kind of has this pretty boy persona and he certainly facilitates that a little bit himself. But this dude is a, a very, very hardcore football guy, especially on offense. So he gets to be involved, gets to stay around the game uh, and work with Lincoln Riley. Uh, both of them are Mike Leach disciples. So from his perspective, I get it. And he gets to work probably at least half, half the time less being an analyst as opposed to an actual on-the-field coach and certainly a lot less than being an NFL head coach. So, yeah, I mean, I get it. Uh, he also probably doesn't have to recruit either. He can probably just say, hey, I'm on the staff, and that's going to be enough to get whoever the top quarterback prospect or top quarterback transfer is year after year. That's just how it's going to work at USC. So get used to this with them. I mean, as long as Lincoln Riley's the head coach there, they're going to make like a lot of big splashes on the offensive side of the ball. They're going to get top quarterback recruits almost every single year. And if they, the top quarterback recruit doesn't land or doesn't hit for them, they're probably just going to get an awesome transfer like they did with Caleb Williams. So for USC, it's newsy. It's a headline. It seems like a big splash. But as I thought about it more and I try to figure out what does this mean for not only USC but for Notre Dame and college football in general this year, 
I don't really think it's that big of a deal. Like, I think there's obviously going to be a positive impact. Adding Cliff Kingsbury to his staff with Lincoln Riley is going to help. But I think that the improvement is marginal. But USC was going to be a great offense anyway. Now, if they had hired someone like Jim Leonard, the former defensive coordinator from Wisconsin, that that would be a different story. I think you'd have to reevaluate how you look at USC this year because defense was clearly the problem last season. They were absolutely horrid. They gave up 40-plus points to Tulane, and I know Tulane was in a New Year's Six Bowl, so it's not like there's some joke, but it's still Tulane. And USC had a huge lead, but their defense couldn't get a stop. It's the reason why they lost to Utah twice as well. So offensively, yeah, they're going to be great. Defensively, they added a couple guys in the portal like Anthony Lucas from Texas A&M and Ethan White from Florida. But, I mean, those guys don't really make me change my entire perception of their defense, and they still have the same defensive coordinator from the year before. So, to me, this is like, and this actually kind of happened to me recently, at least part of this story. This is like if you are on a flight, and the person sitting next to you had the worst body odor of all time. And this, this is the part that actually happened to me recently, so it's why it's on the front of mind. So bear with me here. So imagine this guy sitting next to you. He's, he smells terrible. He's ruining your flight experience. And flying is already terrible anyway. We all know that. And uh, you need to move. You need to get the hell out of the way because this is just awful. You can't bear to stomach this scent that's coming off this guy who probably hasn't showered since the Bush administration. So you build up the courage to ask the flight attendant, hey, can I move? Like, can I move up or anywhere, literally anywhere else in the plane? You can put me back by the bathroom. And she's like, actually... We have two seats available in first class. And you're like, all right, awesome. I'm going to get the first class seat. This is sweet. And then she's like, yeah, but if you go to first class, you still got to bring that guy next to you. And you're like, what? That's, that's the whole problem. That's the one I'm trying to get away. So obviously you take it. You go to first class because it's going to improve the flight experience. But then you get there and guess what? That guy still smells like shit. You can't escape it. So yes, the flight experience is a little bit better. But the real problem is still there, and it's going to ruin your flight experience. It's not going to make it as enjoyable as it should be because you're sitting in first, class, in first class. That's USC. That's their defense. It's a stain they can't wipe off right now. At least they haven't yet. Maybe they will in the future, but I haven't seen it. And I, I just don't think this really impacts their season next year. Is it still going to be a really tough game for Notre Dame to win against USC? Obviously, it was going to be a tough game anyway because they got Lincoln Riley and they got the best player in college football and Caleb Williams. So from Notre Dame's perspective, it's like, okay, I mean, now we got to score even more points, I guess. Like, they were probably going to average 50 points. Now they're going to average 53. <laughs> okay, that really doesn't change much. But I thought about this even more, and this is actually something that I've been thinking about for a while. Could this be a long-term play? Like, the only way I think Cliff Kingsbury is around USC longer than this season, or maybe two max, is because he's not an analyst at that point, and he's not a coordinator either. He's the head coach. Hear me out, okay? I think there's a semi-decent chance that this is Lincoln Riley's last season at USC. This is definitely Caleb Williams' last season in college, and there's a 99% chance that he's the number one overall pick in next year's NFL draft. He would probably be the top pick in this year's NFL draft over Bryce Young and over C.J. Stroud, which sounds crazy, but that's, I mean, he, he really was that good that last season, and that's how high NFL scouts are on him. So barring some career-ending injury or an alien attack, he's going to be the number one pick next year. And way more often than not, teams who end up with the worst record in the NFL to earn that number one overall draft pick, they fire their coach. It happens all the time. It didn't happen this past year with the Bears, but they traded that pick to the Panthers, who did fire their head coach. And it did with the Jaguars the year before that. 
and the year before that. Happens all the time. So if you're going to draft Caleb Williams and you're going to build your entire franchise around him, wouldn't you want a coach there to maximize his talent? And what coach is better for that than Lincoln Riley, who managed to turn Caleb into a Heisman Trophy winner in just his second season? They have a great rapport. He is the reason why Caleb Williams is at USC right now. Like if Lincoln was still at Oklahoma, so would Caleb. And we're going into this season thinking Oklahoma is a serious national championship contender, or at least a college football playoff contender. And look at some of the NFL hires this past offseason. The Broncos got Sean Payton to sort of rehabilitate Russell Wilson's career. The Panthers got Frank Reich and traded for the number one overall pick, as I just mentioned, so they can get their QB of the future and have Frank Reich build him. He's an offensive guy. The Colts got the Eagles offensive corner, Shane Steichen, who helped develop Jalen Hurts, and they're going to draft a quarterback. So this happens a lot. And if you remember, when Lincoln was at Oklahoma, there were always those rumors that he could bolt for the NFL. I know that like when the Cowboys struggled, they were like, oh, just get Lincoln Riley because he's from Texas. But I thought that was a little bit overblown. But there was... There was enough smoke there to suggest that there's some serious interest on the side of Lincoln to go to the NFL one day. I mean, he's still very young, so it's always going to be a possibility. But I would say that it would take an extreme situation for him to leave the college game and go to the NFL. I realize you've never seen this move before. It would be unprecedented in the history of the NFL and in college football. But in the modern game, the marriage between the quarterback and the play caller is the single most important factor to have success. Look at the Super Bowl winners. Look at the Kansas City Chiefs. They've got Andy Reid, who's probably the best play caller in the NFL, and they've got Patrick Mahomes, who is arguably one of the best quarterbacks ever at this point in his career already, which is incredible that they have both of them. And they're going to dominate the NFL for a long time. They've already got two Super Bowls. They likely will have more. So if you're an NFL franchise and you've got a chance to draft Caleb Williams, wouldn't you want a head coach there who can maximize his talent? Because whether you like him or not, Caleb Williams has the potential to be an all-time great quarterback in the NFL. If I'm an NFL team, I'm doing everything I can to get Lincoln Riley to come with Caleb. And I think that there's enough interest there from Lincoln Riley that he would entertain this, and then I think that NFL team would do everything. They'd move heaven and earth to make it happen, and they would get Caleb Williams and Lincoln Riley, and they'd build their future around that pairing. This would obviously be a huge move in college football and the NFL, and if you're a Notre Dame fan, I think you'd be pretty happy with that, let's be honest. But Notre Dame's battles with USC aren't limited to just one Saturday in the fall, though. We see these two teams go at it a lot on the recruiting trail. And over the weekend, Notre Dame hosted one of the Trojans' top targets for a visit. That's coming up after this. Grand Slam's no-hitters and double plays are back, and there's no better place to get in on the MLB action than FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. That's because right now, new customers can step up to the plate with a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. Just go to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to sign up, place your first bet, and get up to $1,000 back in bonus bets if you don't win. I'm not giving out a pick tonight because I'm on a self-imposed suspension. I told you guys to take the Guardians plus one and a half against the Yankees last night, and then the Tribe went out there and lost 11-2. to Not my best look. So we're taking tonight off in the picks. But don't miss your chance to get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 when you join FanDuel today. Just go to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to sign up. FanDuel, an official partner of Major League Baseball. All right, let's talk some recruiting. Spring is obviously a hugely important time in recruiting, not just for Notre Dame, but really for every team in college football. It's an opportunity to get a lot of guys on campus, check out spring practice, check out the spring game, which for Notre Dame is coming up here in just over uh, a week and a half. And we've talked about some visits already, namely five-star defensive lineman Justin Scotts. Uh, But Notre Dame had a big one this past weekend. And normally Notre Dame doesn't host a ton of visitors over Easter weekend because I mean, Notre Dame is a Catholic school. That much is obvious. They've got a lot going on on campus. But also, most players, they don't really want to travel. But it seems like four-star safety Marquise Gallegos, who's out of Chaminade High School over here in Southern California, 
He wanted to do his sort of Midwestern recruiting tour this past week, and Notre Dame was like, you know what? We need to open the doors for this kid because he is an absolutely huge priority for the coaching staff. And if you look at his recruiting rankings, it doesn't really blow you away. He's the number 23 safety in the class, the number 252 player overall, but do not let the ranking fool you. One, because I think he's a really talented player, but two, because Notre Dame really needs safeties. They actually offered him uh, in 2022 on the Pot of Gold Day back then. He actually visited for the spring game last season. And look, we went over this before on the podcast. Notre Dame has recruited the safety position so poorly. Seven commits since 2018 and one, one single hit. Kyle Hamilton in 2019, the class of 2019, I mean. So I went on a big rant about that in a a few podcasts ago. I'm not going to go over it again, but... This is a very important position for Notre Dame, and Gallegos is a really important prospect for Notre Dame. So he visited last weekend. It sounded like the visit went really well. He really enjoyed his time with the staff. And one common thing we hear from a lot of these recruits when they visit Notre Dame is that Notre Dame really emphasizes how different they are than every other school that's looking at them. Sometimes that's a good thing. The 4 for 40, I think that's a positive. But then, you know, you get the NIL stuff. It's it's not always a good thing. But Notre Dame makes it very clear from the beginning. They're very transparent about it all. And I think it appeals to some guys, and it doesn't with others. That's just how it is. But it seemed to work with Gallegos. Other schools that are going after him, obviously USC, he's from their backyard. They're on the up. They need defensive recruits. So USC is going after him pretty hard. I think they might be considered the leader, but it's hard to tell because right after Gallegos visited Notre Dame, he then went to Michigan and then Michigan State right after that, which makes sense. I mean, those two schools are really close to South Bend. And he's actually going to be at Oklahoma for their spring game on April 22nd of this year. He wants to do an official visit in June. And I feel like if you're Notre Dame right now, you got to be feeling pretty good about this because... Like I said, he's already done two visits, and then he's got a third coming up, which should be his official in June. And, I mean, this is an absolute must-get for Notre Dame in this class, which, again, I know it sounds crazy. He's not even a top 250 player, according to the 24-7 Sports Composite. But considering how high the staff is on him and considering the absolute need at safety, uh, this is a very, very critical recruitment for Notre Dame's class of 2024, even if it doesn't you know, drastically impact their team rankings when it's all said and done. So that was one visitor. Notre Dame also hosted C.J. Carr and Cam Williams. Um, those are the two top offensive recruits in the class of 2024. And I probably should have led with them, but I didn't because we, all, we already pretty much knew where these guys stood. I know that um, once Tommy Reese left, there were some concerns about where, what Carr was going to do. Cam Williams just came out and said, no, I'm I mean, I'm going to Notre Dame. That, that's the school he wants to go to, and that's great for Notre Dame because he's a really, really talented player. He's the number 29 player overall in this class, the number six wide receiver. Let's just be honest, Notre Dame doesn't get a ton of wide receiver prospects that are ranked that high, so it's an absolute must-get for this class as well. Carr's a little bit behind him. He's the number 40 player overall, the number five quarterback in this class, and these guys are really close which is great to already have that quarterback wide receiver connection before they even step on campus as students. But they're all business too, which I think is nice. They said it was a pretty low-key visit, um, but it was necessary to sort of establish those connections with the new coaches on offense, like C.J. Carr needs to get to know uh, Gino Gadouli, the new quarterback's coach, a lot better. He knows Jared Parker a a little bit, but now that Parker's taken the new role as offensive coordinator, it's very important that they get to know each other better and continue to build on that relationship. And... uh, the thing about these two guys is Notre Dame has had vocal commitments before who act as leaders of the class. Drake Bowen was certainly that guy last year, and Blake Fisher was the guy before him. And it's obviously better when that vocal leader is also like a five-star. And when you've got two of them, that's really good. 
And Notre Dame needs offensive recruits. They need offensive skill guys to really be competing at the college football playoff. That's not new. You already know that. But having both these guys is really important. Having them locked in, having them be the vocal leaders is great. And I think that even though this this past visit wasn't like the big splash compared to Justin Scotts, for example, or Caleb Beasley, the cornerback who's actually committed to Tennessee, it was very important to have these guys locked in because, as we know, recruiting can change overnight. And as long as Notre Dame continues to recruit these guys really hard, maintain that relationship, maintain that trust, I have no doubts that they will sign on the dotted line come December and they will lead Notre Dame's class of 2024. All right, coming up in segment three, the latest projections for Notre Dame's top prospects in the NFL draft. Stay tuned. All right, so the NFL draft is just a few weeks away here, and I actually haven't talked a ton about the NFL draft on this show, but I feel like it's a good time to check in on Notre Dame's top draft prospects, see what the latest projections are, so we have an idea of where these guys are going to land when the draft comes around in a few weeks here. It's also funny because it's, one, it's mock draft season, and Dane Brugler from The Athletic just released The Beast, and if you're unfamiliar with that, The Beast isn't a mock draft. It's an enormous draft guide that features 401 scouting reports and 1,893 player rankings. It's insane. It's over 300,000 words. And for context, Ulysses, the epic literary fiction novel by James Joyce, that had a measly 265,000 words. That's more words than the entire Hunger Games trilogy. Hell, even George R.R. Martin thinks that's a lot of words. But there's also... The guys, the regulars, the mainstays that you know, like ESPN's Todd McShay, he released his latest mock last week. Mel Kuyper released his updated one on Tuesday. I believe it's like 4.0. Daniel Jeremiah, he's probably one of my favorite NFL draft experts year after year, except maybe not this year because he's not as high in Michael Mayer. But we'll get to that in a second. His latest mock came out on March 21st. So I'm going to go through Notre Dame's top prospects and give you an idea of where they're showing up in these mock drafts. Let's start with Michael Mayer. He's obviously the top one coming out of Notre Dame this this season. So Brugler actually has him uh, number 19 overall in the number one tight end. So he's obviously very high on him. And then Todd McShay is also very high on him. He actually has Mayer landing at number 26 overall with the Dallas Cowboys. Mel Kuyper agrees he has him going to the same spot, but they actually both have him as the second tight end drafted. But then again, even though that's where they're going to be projected to be picked, McShay and Kuyper both said that Mayer is actually a more complete tight end than any other tight end in this class. And it is a pretty loaded tight end class. You've got Dalton Kincaid, the tight end from Utah. He's the one who absolutely torched USC during that regular season game last year. He had over 250 receiving yards. Both McShay and Kuyper and Daniel Jeremiah have Dalton Kincaid getting drafted ahead of Michael Mayer right around the teens. But Look, I think that might just be a case of NFL teams getting too cute with this. They see Kincaid as a better receiving option because he's a little bit faster, can go deeper on his routes than Mayer. But again, I any NFL team who drafts someone over Michael Mayer, any tight end over Michael Mayer is making a mistake. You know it. I know it. We watched every game of Michael Mayer's college career. We know how good of a player he is. We know how good he is going to be in the NFL. But it seems like he's kind of been shifted down towards the later end of that first round. But I still think he probably has the highest floor of arguably any player in this entire draft class. So I guess the one good thing is if he does fall a little bit in the first round and he gets picked up by a really good team, he could be a plug-and-play starter on a really good team and be making big plays in the playoffs in his rookie season. It would not surprise me, and I don't think it would surprise you either. Uh, Moving on to Isaiah Foskey. It looks like his stock is down a little bit. Brugler had him as the number 60 player overall and the number 11 edge prospect. And then when I was looking at McShay, Kuyper, and Daniel Jeremiah's mock drafts, 
he wasn't in McShay and Kuypers. He didn't show up in either of the first two rounds of the mocks, and then Daniel Jeremiah only did the first round. So he wasn't in that either. So it seems like he's trending downwards, and he might not be selected until the third round. And I think NFL scouts are looking for that killer instinct that we didn't always see when he was at Notre Dame. Like, there were points early on during his senior season where you're like, man, where's Foskey? Why isn't he dominating to the level? And this isn't really a knock on him. It's just that he was so talented and so good that the expectations for him were so high that when he didn't live up to those expectations, you're like, what's he doing? When he actually ended up having a really solid season, but he did kind of pad his stat sheet against UNLV, not that he was like stat padding, but really just had, what, like four sacks or something crazy in that game. And it looks like the scouting report on him, it seems like they want him to be a little bit more consistent, have a little bit more variety in his pass rush moves. But I still think that he's going to be a really productive player in the NFL. He just might not be like a day one starter. He could come in as like a sub package rusher and then hopefully develop into more of a reg regular contributor for wherever he lands. And then you've got Jarrett Patterson. Uh, Brugler has him as the number eight center, which was pretty surprising to me because I felt like before he came back last season, he was higher than that. But he's getting like a fifth or sixth round grade, which seems low to me. I mean, I'm obviously not an NFL draft scout or an offensive line expert, but I watched Notre Dame. I saw what he did. He was a two-time captain at Notre Dame. He was the toughest dude. I mean, he basically played his entire uh, fifth-year senior or fifth-year senior season he, during the week. He had a boot on his leg just to get from class to class or get to the goog and all that. And then he would take it off and then he'd play on Saturdays and then he played really, really well. Way more often than not, didn't allow a sack in nearly 1,700 career pass blocking snaps and saved the offensive line last season. I mean. This isn't meant to be a knock on Andrew Kristofic, but we saw how much better the line was after those first two games when Patterson was a little bit healthier. He's a little bit more established because he obviously missed the game against Ohio State. And then he played against Marshall, but was clearly not healthy in that game. And Notre Dame's offensive line kind of got worked by the thundering herd. So I think his versatility, the fact that he can play guard, the fact that he can play center, I think it's going to make him very valuable. And we know how Notre Dame offensive linemen fare in the NFL. They're really good. So... Even if uh, Patterson slips a little bit in the draft, I have no doubt that he's going to make it. He's going to find his way in the league and become a starter for a team, uh, hopefully for a really long time. And then you got Brandon Joseph, who, I mean, we talked about it before. He had a really bad combine. He's not really high in anyone's mocks um, right now. Certainly, Brugler's got him as the number one or number twenty-one safety, which comes out to a sixth or seventh round grade. It might even go undrafted, and it sounds like. You know, a lot of teams are seeing what we saw last season where he's pretty good, but he's not really – there was nothing about his game that you were like, oh, that guy's an NFL safety. Uh, he came in with a lot of hype. He obviously had that unbelievable play when he was at Northwestern. He picks off Justin Fields in the end zone. It was an incredible play. He's very athletic, I think. But then again, he didn't really have um, great testing numbers at the Combine, so that makes you sort of question his athletic ability and how that's going to translate to the NFL. And I'll just read you the scouting report from Brugler. Quote, overall, Joseph works well from his center field perch to read and put himself in position to make plays, but his lack of explosive traits and inconsistent technique will be more noticeable versus NFL competition. He projects as a potential backup and special teamer, end quote. I think that makes sense. Joseph just didn't show me nearly enough last season. And uh, to be honest, like based on what we've been hearing about Xavier Watts, is it that crazy to think that had Joseph come back this season at Notre Dame, he might not even be the best safety? Now, he obviously has more experience playing the safety position than Xavier Watts, who's a converted wide receiver. But I'm telling you, man, the stuff I'm hearing about Watts, it has me really excited about what he can do this year. And I, I honestly question if he might be even better than Brandon Joseph was that season. It's not like the craziest thing to say, I think, at this point in time. And 
that that mark is, you know, it should be doable for Xavier Watts this season. And then you got guys like Avery Davis, Josh Lugg, both the Adam Alola, Adam Alola brothers, Chris Smith, Tariq Bracey, and Bo Bauer, all guys who are going to this year's NFL draft. They're all projected to go undrafted, which isn't the end of the world. I mean, none of these guys were invited to the Combine, so this isn't too much of a shock. But personally, I think out of all these guys, the one who could make the most out of their NFL career is actually Tariq Bracey, which sounds pretty crazy. Like, if you had told me that a couple of years ago, uh, I would have been stunned by that. And I think that his early seasons, when he had some pretty bad film out there, I think that hurts him now. But I don't really think that should be the case. We saw how good he was last season as the nickel for Notre Dame. I mean, he played outstanding against uh, Ohio State. And Notre Dame really felt his loss when he wasn't able to play against USC. That was really unfortunate. But I think that there's enough there to, to make me think that he's going to be at least a really good special teams player at the next level because he can tackle in the open field and he's fast enough to keep up with guys in the slot. So I think that's going to be able to translate to the NFL. I think Jason Adamilola was a really solid player at Notre Dame, and I think he could be another good player in the NFL depending on where he lands, sort of the opportunity that gets presented to him. But uh, that's where the Notre Dame players are currently projected to go in the NFL draft. I'm hoping to get an actual NFL draft expert uh, on the show here in the coming weeks before the NFL draft so we can go a little bit deeper on this, hear more about what the scouting reports are on these guys and figure out where they're going to land. Because, um, you know, it's always great to see former Notre Dame guys get drafted. And then in the case of Michael Mayer and uh, probably Isaiah Foskey become millionaires overnight. It's really, it's really cool to see and fun for a fan. All right, that's going to do it for me today. Thanks again for making this your first listen of the day. On the way out, remember to subscribe to the show on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts, and give us a follow on Twitter at LockdownIrish, on Instagram at LockdownIrishPod, and my personal Twitter account at Tyler Wojcik. That's at Tyler, W-O-J-C-I-A-K. I'll see you guys tomorrow.